Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip talks about what does it mean to have a debt-based financial system? How should I think about allocating my money amongst different investments? And I've heard about rebalancing. When should I do it? Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. What does it mean to have a debt-based financial system, the current system that we're in? Let me explain what I mean on, on that. So, uh, you know, a lot of people are getting, becoming aware of, like, how the financial system works for one reason or another. And so when, when, when you have a, a debt-based financial system, then what happens with the currency is the currency is intentionally devalued to to help grow the economy. And and devalued means like they intentionally print more money for the expanding economy, which makes the value of the money go down over time. So whenever you hear inflation, inflation is the devaluing of the currency. And, and and normally historically it's been somewhere around three percent. So it wasn't it wasn't overly inflated. They've also changed the metrics and the numbers. So that 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 math gets fuzzy, you know, after about 1971. But they have made the value of the currency worth less over time to accommodate to to part of partly to accommodate the expanding economy. Now, the other reason why I got so distorted after 1971 was they were just overspending on everything, on just basically everything. And so inflation is a way to hide the underspend, overspending because they could uh, print the money to pay bills and keep interest rates lower than what they than what they should be in order to keep their their, their debt levels cheap. And I've done plenty of episodes on that. But once you understand that we're in a a debt-based system and how it works, then you understand why credit is so important because in a debt-based system, you, you split the people in, in, in down the middle. You have people who are who are slaves to debt. You know, they are the income sources for the people on the other side who are the people who are able to get interest on a debt. And, and and then you have another level of people that just are kind of independent operators and they're like, listen, I understand the system and I'm going to use it for for my benefit, meaning I'm going to get my financial house in order and I'm going to build my credit, build my asset base, which, uh, you know, when, when you look at what qualifies you for credit, it's income, you know, a lot of, you know, credit score. If you have assets, that's that's really good too. Uh, and I'm not talking about the t- the typical utilization stuff as well. That that's important too. But that's all covered in the credit score. But if you have high high income, a good credit score, and then you have assets, now you have the ability to manipulate the system. And so, manipulating the system means, you know, if if you don't need credit, and I'm, and you're going to hear me talk about this again. If you don't need credit, then everybody wants to give you money. Right, if you have money and income, right, and a high credit score, which means you're responsible, then you then you can get all the credit you want, but you have to be wise with it. Meaning, you know, 
if if you look at investment opportunities and they are able to earn you, for example, 20% a year on your money over the next 10 years, you know, with, with a high degree of certainty, I'm saying when you run the calculations and you say, I have a really good bet, this is not a speculative bet, this is a highly certain uh, investment I can make where it's going to generate 20% a year for me for the next 10 years, whether it's an investment in your business, whether it's buying real estate, uh, whether it's owning a, a company that you've researched real, real well and you know a lot, whether it's owning Bitcoin. But if you say, hey, I have an investment that I'm highly certain can do this, and at, for, for whatever reason, I can get, I can get money uh, from the bank from, you know, for 10 years or, or, or from a lender for 10 years or longer at, let's say, 15%, so you can, or not 15%, let's say 5%, so you can lock in saying, hey, bank, you give me money at 5% because uh, I don't want to use my money, right? Because the other part of it is let's, let's make it really real so I can quantify what I'm saying. Let's say you have a million dollars on your balance sheet. And your million dollars, because it's divided into real estate, stocks, Bitcoin, you know, on average, that million dollars is earning, let's say, 20% a year too, right? You're like, you're like, cool, I could use my million, but if I use my million to go put in 20% over here, right? I mean, I'm just taking one hand, money out of one pocket, putting it in the other. Even if the opportunity that, that you were invested in gave you a higher return than what your money is earning, you'd have to forego this 20 to go to go make the higher, which, which, which would make sense in most situations. Your alternative option is to say, well, look, I make strong income. Why don't I just get an upfront million from the bank, right? You know, on my income, my ability to pay it back over time, just have them give me an upfront million and I'm only paying them 5% for that upfront million. And now I can invest their million and I still make the 20%, but I get the pocket 15% for using their money, right? So I, I make the spread because that's what banks do. You, they, you put savings in the bank. They pay you nothing. They turn around and lend it out in their credit card company, their mortgage company, their car finance company, and they make whatever, 2, 3, 4, 5, 10, 20%, depending on what product uh, they're making money on, on their end. And, it, and the bank doesn't they don't have any money. They're making money off of our money. And so understanding the system allows you to say, cool, let me become my own bank and let me use my balance sheet strategically to make the money I want to make in this debt-based system. And again, the other side of that are people who have low credit scores because they don't have assets, make a low income, all that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, in the system, they get further and further behind because it's kind of like a compounding effect on, on both ends. You can get really rich if, if if you've built your balance sheet and your life in a way where the system likes you. But if it if if the system is against you, then you get trapped in debt and poor, and it's it's super unfortunate. So what I'm doing is I'm not I'm not making a judgment call either way. I just want to explain to you how the system works um, because to get on to the other side of the system is it's not easy, but it's not. It's definitely not complicated. And so this is what we're here to do. So question number two, how should I think about allocating my money amongst different investments? And this is actually a really good question because I think a lot of people, if I had to guess, the majority of investors, amateur investors, don't have a asset allocation strategy, meaning 
they might find great investments, but few understand how much to put into which investment, you know, how to allocate new money, right? When to reallocate. It's just kind of a haphazard approach. And so, you know, what professional managers like to do is they like to think in terms of probability. It's a lot like if you play if you play dominoes or if you play poker or any game prob- probability, you you are you are assessing the odds whether you understand you're doing it consciously or unconsciously, but you're looking at the odds and you're saying, "Okay, I'm going to play what I play based on like the odds." And you can never be 100% certain of of what the other person has in their hand, right? And so this is the same with investing. You are saying, "Hey, I need to own some investments that over my investment time frame will get me uh, this amount of return. Right? I want to find these types of investments. And you you also understand that you don't want to put all you you may or may not want to let me let me explain it differently. Because you, you have multiple trade-offs, right? So in a in a perfect world, if you could find 1000 investments that all earn your return target, that is safer than finding one investment that can earn your return target, <laughs> right? Because, you know, because of diversification. Now, that's, that's super difficult. The higher the return you want, the less diversification, the, 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 it lowers your amount of options you can invest in. And so then you have to say, okay, if I want to shoot for higher returns, I'm not going to be as diversified and so that that's that's trade-off number one. Higher return, you're going to be less diversified. More diversified, the lower return. And that trade-off is made individually based on each person. And then once you get there, you you may have you may have uh, a total portfolio return. So you may say, I need I need to ten times my money over the next ten years, right? But but you may but you may find some investments that that can 50 times your money, right? And then you may have some investments that are well, only 10 times your money. And so you have to think through that. And then you also have to think through what's the probability of the 50X investment actually working out. Typically, if it's a you know, a higher potential return, it's a lower probability bet, right? That's just how efficient markets work. So for example, if you buy a bond, which is a contract that guarantees you a certain interest rate over a certain period of time, right? That's a higher guarantee, so you're going to get paid less money versus if you buy a stock, a growth stock that's not even paying a dividend yet. Uh, you, you're you're buying it based on the future potential of it. You know, those things you know tend to pay tend to do better if it works out because there's less there's less certainty. So there's a lot more upside, but there's less certainty. And I'm intentionally not doing a lot of math in this example. I'm not doing a problem on this one because statistics doesn't really <laughs> work well uh, on the airways or video. You got to have a pen and paper to understand it. But I want to get you to understand what, these are things that you're thinking through. So you're saying, I need to match up my probability of it working out with my return target. And I'm going to have some things in there that have 50, 50 times return target over 10 years. But maybe it starts off as a lower weight of my portfolio. And then I'm going to have things that are set to hit 10 times earnings with, with a high degree of possibility. And I'm going to have, you know, some of those, right? And so it's just kind of a math and art putting it together to, to allow it to work out. 
to to meet your return target. But you're gonna. Th- this is one of the big things that I'm I'm really big on saying like don't bet unless you know. Meaning, like I don't like to put anything into the portfolio unless I can assess those odds. And the other thing is, people think this math has to be <laughs> this math has to be extremely accurate. It's more rough estimates, right? Because if I if if I say for example. You know, I I think I think Bitcoin has a you know at least a thirty percent probability of hitting my three million target in ten years, right? That's a rough estimate. Whether it's twenty percent, whether it's forty percent, you know, who really cares? But thirty percent allows me to say, okay, cool. If I think it's thirty percent chance that's going to do that, you know, then I want to, and and that and that's the best what I would call risk reward for my portfolio, meaning it's the highest degree of certainty for the for the best return, I know that's going to be the biggest position in my portfolio, right? Whatever weight that might be in the example. And so those are the things that that you are thinking through when you're allocating assets. And I'm going to follow it up with another question that I also got, which which was basically about rebalancing. So it's, it's I've heard about, the basic question was like, hey, Philip, I've heard about rebalancing. You know, when should I rebalancing? Well, Rebalancing is really something that professional managers do to manage uh, volatility, which I've done an episode before. It talks about volatility is not risk, but volatility for, as a fiduciary, you know, if a client is a moderate or aggressive portfolio, right, you you put lines around that or you put boundaries around that, typically based on like volatility or up and down movement, and so rebalancing helps to keep the volatility level where it should be. So, so, so for example, if somebody is a moderate investor at the beginning of a 10-year period of time, that, that traditionally has meant something like 60-40, 60% stocks, 40% bonds. I like to use you know, 65% or 70% stocks in the current world, but that's beside the point. It may start there, but because historically – Stocks have done better than bonds because they should because of, again, the certainty versus return deal we just talked about in the previous question. Then then what happens is if over a 10-year period of time, stocks might become 90% of the portfolio and bonds might become 10% of the portfolio, which moves you from a moderate allocation to an aggressive allocation. And your client may or may not be, or my client may or may not be able to handle that level of up and down movement from an emotional standpoint. And so so rebalancing is really helps is less about return and more about volatility targeting. Now if if you're of the mind like I am that volatility does not equal risk, then rebalancing is not as important. Because all you do is you just start with going through the probabilities versus the potential return over your time frame, and then you allocate accordingly, and then you let things play out the way they're going to play out. So if if Apple stock starts off as 10% of the portfolio, but Apple does better than what you expected, and it smokes everything else and becomes 50% of the portfolio, you just leave it until you're ready to be out of Apple. You You let the market dictate what ends up being the better bet. And, 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 and you let it slide. And, that, and that, that, that actually historically has provided the better return than rebalancing because, again, rebalancing is all about 
volatility target. So the, the, the targeting, the biggest thing to understand is volatility is not risk. Way different things. Volatility helps you with with your emotions. And let me kind of go a little deeper. I'm looking on my notes to make sure I did not have this somewhere else in here. But it, it was a book that I read. I was given a mentor in 2008, a long time ago. It was called The, the Other 90%. And the book is about how we really don't use, we only use 10% of our brain's capacity because we only think with a limited number of our brain. And scientists have found that we really have three brains. You know, we have a brain in our head, which is what we use to you know, do creative problem solving, whether it's create art, create music, or math and science, creating technology. And, but we also have a brain in our heart, which intuitively we know, and there's a technical function for what it does, commun- communicating everything to the brain, but, you, but it also is whenever you see people make decisions based on heart and not logic, right? I think a lot of men like to say, oh man, you know, women are not logical, right? And I don't, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not making a decision. I'm not, I'm not saying uh, anything about that either way. But what I am saying is w- women, women do tend to think more with their heart and their gut, which I'll get to the gut in a second, which allows them to be more intuitive, right? So then, you know, which which is needed because if you only made decisions on logic, on logic, we'd be a really cold society. You know what I mean? Like we wouldn't care about anybody. As a matter of fact, if you think about the two energies in the world, the conservative and liberal energy, which is happens lots of different ways, you know, the, the liberals are the heart. You know, they think a lot with the heart and the conservatives think with the logic, but you you, you need to have both, right? So that's, so we think with our, you can think with your heart and then your gut, right? Your gut is intuition, right? Your gut is pattern recognition. Your gut is in your heart and your gut thinks faster than your brain. And so a lot of re- reasons why women are s- smarter than men is they think a lot with their heart and their gut. And so they pick up on stuff quicker than men. And even though, you know, like when I'll have conversations, you know, with my wife where we might disagree on something, she can always vocalize why she disagrees, which frustrates her and me, but it's because her the heart and the gut thinks quicker. She's like, I don't, I don't really know why. I just, you know, what I'm saying, and and it becomes apparent later, but because it it thinks a lot faster. And so the point of the book is, you know, you want to get to a point to where your heart, gut, and brain all line up when you're making decisions and training yourself to think that way, embracing all of them because neither one of them is better than the other because you need both. But it's thinking with the whole body, right? The whole, with all all the brains, right? Here's where I'm going with that. That's really important in investing. Understanding how to think with your whole body because I, I don't think, I don't think our, like our logical brain can be a really good investor, right? Pe- pe- people like, like me who might over-index on the logic and can, you know, make cold calculated decisions tend to be better investors. But a lot of humans, they think with the heart and the gut. And and that is more influenced on like experience, evolution. It's, it's not as passed on through the DNA, right? Like the reason why we're, we might have a fear of snakes without knowing as a kid or fear of bugs, right? Is a, a lot of that stuff is like, and this is going super, super metaphysical, but like, you know, going back to the gut, like a lot of what we eat, right? We're consuming their knowledge. You know what I mean? 
that food, a lot of what was passed down, you know, from us through DNA is, is, is all in there too. And so investing is a relatively new concept for humans. And so the, the gut and the heart a lot of times can leave you astray. But once you understand how to center all of them and understand what's going on there, it can allow you to make, you know, better decisions, right? And so, so over time, what's happened, and this part I can't really explain yet, so maybe I'll keep elaborating on it as I understand it more. But, you know, over time, now my gut and my heart aligns with my brain on investing to where volatility doesn't bother me, right? It actually kind of excites me. And so that came through programming, reprogramming my DNA or those brains somehow. I don't know. Um, we'll figure that out. But that's that's where you want to be to where then you then you see clear and you're like, cool, I could trust my gut, heart, and brain because they're lined up. And so this is a really strong decision. And that, and that goes back to one of the inputs in my probability models, right? If I, if I feel that alignment, I'm good, right? It's the big reason why you keep hearing hear me talk so much about Bitcoin, right? Or how I got to the point of, loving uranium and lithium you know those are my two two biggest or three biggest conviction bets i hope this helps y'all and uh, until next week enjoy your day if you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals philip offers complimentary consults through his company stonehill wealth management for more information log on to stonehillwealthmanagement.com forward slash talk. That's stonehillwealthmanagement.com forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.